It's good to see uh, some new old faces, some folks trickling back in. I don't know, what, what tier are we at now? Orange, I think that's 50%, so we got plenty of room here, so feel free to join in. So beginning next week, uh, I'm going to series through the epistle of 1 Peter. And since we just finished a series in Mark, which led us through the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ, I thought we might spend this week uh, bridging the gap by looking at uh, one of Jesus' post-resurrection appearances to the author of 1 Peter, uh, the Apostle Peter. So I was preparing, at the beginning of the week, I started preparing the message in 1 Peter, and I was going, part of it was just talking about who Peter was, and I go, well, maybe we should just look at uh, a big event in Peter's life, and this one came to mind. Now, for context, we read from the beginning of chapter 21, but we'll mainly uh, focus on just three verses, the end there, verses 15 through 17. This is, I believe... Peter's most significant encounter with Jesus. It influences his life, his ministry, and the letters he wrote to the churches. This is, as the title of the message indicates, Peter's restoration to ministry. It's the restoration of Peter. And if we're going to fully understand Peter's restoration in John chapter 21 the end of the Gospel of John we need to see why he needed restoration. Uh, We need to review his fall, recorded in John chapter 18. So that's our first point this morning, just backing up a little bit in the book of John and reviewing Peter's fall. Now the climax of Peter's uh, fall came between Christ's arrest and his crucifixion. During that time, Peter reached the lowest point uh, probably of his life by denying Christ three times. But this fall started before that. Uh, Earlier that evening, in the upper room, before Jesus was arrested, this is the last supper time, he told his disciples that he would be leaving them and that they could not follow him. Then he gave them a new command. In John 13, 34, we read, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. But Peter, instead of trusting the Lord and focusing on this new commandment of loving other his other disciples, could not stop thinking about losing Jesus. He was kind of seems preoccupied with Jesus' saying that he was leaving and they could not follow him. And he wanted Jesus to know just how much that he loved him, or at least how much he thought he loved him. So in John chapter 13, verse 37, we read, Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Lord, you say we cannot follow you, but but does that really mean me? Are you talking to Peter? Don't you know that that I'll go wherever you go? I'll, I'll do whatever you want. I'll die for you. But Jesus knew better. Next verse, verse 38 Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Peter must have been stunned by Jesus' words. I can hear him saying to himself, he's wrong. 
I'll never deny him. No matter what the others do, uh, I can hear him saying this because later that evening, when the disciples left the upper room and were on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter said it not once but twice. We read in Matthew, Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, Notice nobody focused on that. Peter's going to focus on, uh, uh, you're going to fall away, but he doesn't, doesn't seem to get the fact that Jesus is saying he'll be raised up. I will, go before, uh, I will bef- go before you to Galilee, Jesus said. And then Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Peter is basically saying, Jesus, I don't care what you say. I don't care what's written. I'm better than them all. I'm better than all these. I love you more than they do. I will never fall away. Jesus then repeats his prophecy, this personal prophecy of Peter's denial. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. But Peter answered again. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. So Peter is not only being very bold and self-confident, but he's also contradicting Jesus. I know you're the Lord, but you're wrong about this. I'll never fall away. I'll never deny you. I'll lay down my life for you. Later that night, Jesus would say, "Uh, Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. And I'm sure Peter believed that his love for Jesus was greater than all others. That he alone would lay down his life for his Lord. But, but as we know, Peter didn't lay down his life for the Lord. At least not until much later. Instead, uh, like Jesus said, like it was written, Peter fell away. Peter denied knowing the Lord three times. Peter's denial is, is one of the few uh, events that's recorded in all four of the Gospels. Let's read Luke's account. Then they seized him, Jesus, and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter said, sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, this man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man also was with him. He too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. This has to be an extremely difficult point in Peter's life. The lowest, he's reached the bottom. He's weeping bitterly. He, He had claimed he was better than all the rest. He had boasted that he would lay down his life for Jesus But instead, in fear, he fell away and denied the Lord three times. I don't know him. I am not one of his disciples. I I don't don't even know what you're talking about, he said. 
The climax of Peter's fall is seen in his three denials of Christ, but it it began with his self-confident proclamation, proclaiming uh, his willingness to give his life for Jesus. Have you ever made a a great self-confident claim about your relationship with Jesus? Maybe you claim that, that Jesus is the most important thing in your life. Jesus is number one. I love him more than anything or anyone, including myself. He's top priority. I'd follow him anywhere he calls. I'll do anything he says. I love him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Have you ever said things like, like that when, when talking to other Christians, but in reality, there are non-believers in, in, in your life, people you work with, maybe you go to school with, People live in your neighborhood who don't even know that you're a follower of Christ. You may not, like Peter, verbally say, I'm not his disciple, but your silence communicates the same thing. Or maybe, like Peter, you've vowed to do something for the Lord. I'll lay down my life for you. I'm going to read my Bible and I'm going to pray every day. I'm going to share my faith at least once a week. I'm going to tithe to my church. I'm going to serve Christ by serving people in my community, but then you fail. You don't live up to your self-confident proclamations. If you can relate to this, and and I believe we all can, I certainly can, then we can relate to Peter's fall. And therefore, we can thank God for John chapter 21, where we witness the forgiveness and restoration of this fallen man. See, one of the greatest things about Uh, Being a Christian about Christianity is that falling does not mean you're finished. For those who will, like Peter, bring their failures to Jesus, there's always hope, there's always grace, there's always mercy, forgiveness, and restoration. But we have to come to Christ. Peter had denied his Lord, but when he recognized Jesus on the shore... He, he did a weird thing. He got dressed, and then he jumped into the water. And he swam a hundred yards to get to him. Restoration begins by coming to Christ. Just a, a little side note. That's really the difference between Judas the betrayer and Peter the denier. Both failed miserably, but Judas ran from the Lord and hung himself, while Peter swam to the Lord and experienced restoration. So let's examine Peter's restoration. Jesus restores Peter with a a question and a command. Let's begin by looking at uh, the question, a question of of Peter's love. Let's read John 21, 15 through 17 again, paying particular attention to the question or questions Jesus asks and that Peter answers. When they had finished breakfast... Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, You know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, if you've heard sermons on this passage before, including uh, 
the sermon I gave when I was going through the book of John several years ago, you know that John records Jesus and Peter using two different words uh, for love. So each of them says love. Jesus asked the question three times, and Peter answers three times. And the first two times, Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? The word he uses is agape. Familiar with that. Whereas Peter answers uh, these first two questions with a different Greek word for love, phileo. And then in the third question, both Jesus and Peter use the word phileo. Now some, including myself in the past, have made much of the difference in these words. Saying that, that Jesus is calling Peter to a higher love. A selfless, sacrificial, unconditional, God-empowered love. That's what uh, we say agape means. But Peter responds by saying, Yes, Lord, I love you with great affection, like a brother. That's what phileo means. And so Jesus, in the third question, when he uses phileo, is, is accepting Peter's limited brotherly love by using the same word as he does. Basically saying, okay, if you can't love me the way I want you to love me, then I'll take what you have to give. In fact, if you, if you have a, a pre-1984 NIV Bible, the word phileo is translated love, but the word agape is translated truly love. So there's like this belief that one is real love and one is not. However, in the current NIV and in most English translations, both agape and phileo are translated by the single word love, as we read today. This reflects the fact that most current evangelical Bible scholars don't see Jesus calling Peter to a higher kind of love. In fact, it should be noted that Jesus and Peter were not speaking Greek when they were talking on the beach. They were speaking Aramaic. So agape and phileo were not the words they used. They were the words, and good words, that John chose when he was writing this. And, and in his commentary on this passage, John Stott writes, Attempts to identify subtle distinctions between the two verbs fail to carry conviction. John has a habit, through his gospel, of using pairs of terms interchangeably. Classical studies have shown that the two Greek verbs for love were used fairly interchangeably in most contexts. It's probably, therefore, wiser to see this as a Johnian stylistic feature rather than the basis of a major exegetical truth. So I share that just because I know, okay, I looked at my sermon that I gave on this, uh, I don't know how many years ago when we were doing John and and I made the whole thing about these two words. And then I started reading, and then I realized, oh, they weren't even speaking Greek. Oh, maybe I need to, uh, maybe I need to rethink this. And so I did. And so I just wanted to share that with you. And uh, because I thought that way, because I had heard that. And so you can take that with what other things you've heard and, and put that together. So making an issue of John's use of these two different words is probably not a good idea. And I think when we do that, we miss some other things. And those are the things I want to share with you. There's some important things for us to see in Jesus' questioning of Peter's love for him. First thing uh, I want to point out is to notice that this is a, a public uh, conversation. 
They had all gathered for breakfast after coming out of the, the sea. Peter swam, the others went in by boat, and they gathered for breakfast. Jesus had prepared some food for them, and they're all still there together when Jesus instigates this conversation. The disciples had certainly become aware of Peter's denial of Christ, and uh, Peter was one of the leaders, if not the leader of the disciples, and so they're wondering what's going to happen with Peter after he's done this terrible thing. And Peter, is he's destined to be a leader, an apostle in the early church. So it's important that the disciples be present at his restoration. A public fall calls for a public restoration. And that's what Jesus does for Peter. Then second, notice that, that Jesus asked Peter not once, not twice, not four times, but three times. Peter, uh, Simon Peter, do you love me? And three times, Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Why three times? Well, it seems obvious. It wasn't obvious to Peter, though. Do you notice that? Peter was grieved at the third time. Peter's not getting what Jesus is doing. Why do you keep asking me, Jesus? I love you. But Jesus is doing something here. And for us, in hindsight, it seems obvious that these three questions correspond to Peter's three denials. Peter, three times you denied having any kind of relationship with me. I don't even know what you're talking about. I'm not a disciple. I don't know the man. Now I'm going to give you three opportunities to correct those denials. In grace and mercy, I'm going to hammer this point home for you, Peter, so you'll never forget it. And notice that each time Peter answers the question... He says, he doesn't just say, yes, Lord, I love you. He says, you know that I love you. Adding on the final time that you know everything. Peter's theology was pretty good. He understood who Jesus was. God the Son, he knew everything. He knew Peter's heart. And Peter is quite correct. Jesus knew exactly how Peter felt about him. So why ask? Because Jesus wasn't asking for his sake He was asking for Peter's sake. He was giving Peter the opportunity he needed to wipe away the denials and replace them with with statements of loving acceptance so Peter could put this behind him. And in the same way, Jesus will test us with opportunities to demonstrate our love for him. Maybe we failed, and then Jesus comes and says, well, here's an opportunity. Will you deny me or will you acknowledge your love for me? And he does this not because he doesn't already know how we feel, not that he doesn't already know what we'll do, but because sometimes we don't know how we feel, we don't know what we'll do until we're tested, until we can declare our love for Jesus. And if we pass the test, then our faith is strengthened. Okay, God has worked in my heart. He's built up my my strength and my love for him. And if we fail the test, then we know we need to return to Him. We need to repent. We need to seek His strength. We know we need to be, confess our sin and be restored. So, second, that's why the three times there, for Peter's sake. Then third, notice that, that Jesus' first question uh, includes a comparison. Jesus asked, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Who or what are the these uh, Jesus is referring to? 
Remember, uh, they've just gone fishing, right? So Jesus could be pointing at the fish. And remember, Peter's the one that instigated the fishing. Maybe Peter's thinking, ah, I am, you know, I still love Jesus, but he is not going to want me to be in the same position I was. I'm going to need to get, get a real job, so to speak. I'm going to need to go back to fishing. And so he does this. And so uh, some say, it's possible, Jesus is saying, uh, Peter, do you love me more than these fish, this profession? Do you love me enough to give up your profession? Or Jesus could be asking Peter if he loves him more than he loves these other disciples. Do you love me more than the, uh, the love you have for these men? Am I the priority in your life? Now, both of these are important, right? It's important that we love Jesus more than our jobs, that we're willing to leave our jobs or, or anything else if Jesus calls, and that we love Jesus more than we love other people, that our relationship with Christ takes priority over all other relationships. But in this case, Jesus probably doesn't mean either, either of these. Instead, he's asking Peter, do you love me more than these other disciples love me? Because remember in the upper room and on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter had implied that he loved Jesus more than the other disciples and that he would prove it by dying for Jesus. Matthew 26, again, Peter said, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. I can see them falling away, but not me. And in Matthew 26, 35, Jesus says, even if I must die for you, I will not deny you. Well, they may deny you, but I won't deny you. So prior to Peter's denial, he was confident in his great love for Jesus. A love that Peter believed to be greater than anyone else's. Jesus, I love you more than anyone else in the whole wide world. And now in John 21, Jesus is saying, do you still feel that way, Peter? Do you still believe your love is better than others? And Peter simply responds, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Notice Peter doesn't say, yes, Lord, of course, I love you more than these. I love you more than everybody. I'm still that guy. He says, yes, Lord, I love you. But he doesn't say more than these. Peter, I think he's, he's changed. His denial, uh, maybe the silver lining for his denial is it's created some humility. And that's a great place to be when we're seeking restoration. We must come to Christ in humility, not with excuses. We don't have any when it comes to Christ. Not with boasting, but openly and honestly. Jesus, I, I blew it. I, I'm not what I thought I was. I'm not who I thought I was. Not as strong as I thought I was. I love you and I, I come to you in humility seeking forgiveness and restoration. As Peter would later write in 1 Peter, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Peter had humbled himself. Yes, I love you, but, but, but I'm not going to say that I love you more than others. And Jesus exalted him. Jesus restored him to his position of apostle and leader and feeder of sheep, tender of lambs. 
Now the final and I think most obvious thing I want us to see in Peter's restoration with regards to this uh, question of love is that Jesus makes it all about Peter's love for Jesus. After a fall, restoration comes to those who remain or return to love for Christ. And for some, that's a, that's a problem. Peter was clear. He ran. He, he swam to Jesus. And three times he declared his love for the Lord. And Jesus knew his heart. And he knew he was telling the truth. He was being honest. But sometimes... We don't run and we don't swim. Or we don't even walk to the Lord seeking restoration because we struggle. We are struggling in our love for Him. If Jesus were to ask you today, Christian, do you love me? Could you honestly say, Lord, you know I love you? Now, I'm sure that there are some that could say that. Answer honestly, like Peter, yes, Lord, I love you. And I pray that, that you, that, that we continue to remain and grow in that love for Christ. I mean, that's, uh, I, I said this about the sermons and the resurrection and crucifixion. My point in, in sharing the Word of God with you, at least my key point, is that you might grow a little bit. I might grow a little bit in love with Jesus. If we leave this, this place, whether it's talking about the crucifixion or any message, any part of the Word of God, if we leave this place more in love with Jesus than when we came, I think uh, it, was a good, it was a good day. But I'm sure that there are many who struggle in their love for Jesus. I certainly have in my life. We struggle to feel love and even to act lovingly towards Christ. And so for those who may be struggling with their love for Jesus, for those who are unsure of how they would honestly answer Jesus if he were to say, do you love me? I have great news for you. I have great news for you if you've uh, trusted in Jesus Christ, if you're part of his body. If you're not, then that's the first thing you need to do. You need to come to him in repentance and trust him as your Lord and Savior. But if you're part of his body and you're struggling with your love for Christ, Uh, know this, it's not up to you to generate some kind of love. It's not your responsibility. In Romans 5.5, writing to the church in Rome, Paul says, God's love has been poured into our hearts, speaking to the church, speaking to believers, through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. If you're a child of God, then you've been given the Holy Spirit. It's the guarantee, the deposit of your faith in Christ. And and through the Holy Spirit, Paul says, God's love has been poured into your heart. You can experience an outpouring of God's love for you, for you and in you. And as John wrote, we love because He first loved us. So the Word of God teaches that if you're a believer, then you have received the love of God. It's been poured into your hearts. And because of that, not because you're a particularly loving person, but because you have the love of God available to you, you therefore can love. You can love God. Love is a gift from God. It's a a fruit of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. So if that's what the Word of God teaches... If those are the facts, then why do we continue to struggle to love God? And I think the answer is we struggle because we don't 
believe the facts. And therefore, we don't live in the reality of those facts. What do I mean by that? Well, suppose I were to deposit, this is never going to happen, by the way. Suppose I were to deposit a million dollars into your bank account. For a number of reasons, that's never going to happen. The fact is, suppose though, the fact is, you're a millionaire, whether you believe it or not. But the money will do you no good until you believe you have it and you begin to use it. The same is true in the Christian life. God has deposited some amazing things in your life, including and especially His love. But until you believe it, until you start using it, until you trust Him for it, you won't experience it. So I would encourage you, as I encourage myself, if you struggle to love Christ, to love God, I would encourage you uh, to meditate on the Scripture that I've shared this morning. Maybe there are others as well. Think about and believe that God's love has been poured into your heart. Trust the Word above your feelings even. Know that you have received the Holy Spirit and that He is giving you the fruit of love. That God first loved you, now you can love Him in return. Meditate on and believe these truths. Allow them then, part two, allow them to drive you to your knees. Asking, God, I'm not, I'm not feeling it. I want to feel it. Even begging, even saying, I'm not getting up from this position, Lord, until you come to me. I think it's, it's, it's great. It's good to be bold in prayer when you're praying for something that God has promised. If you're praying for something He hasn't promised, then that's okay, God, if your will be done. But if you're praying for something He's promised... I've poured uh, my love into your heart. God, help me to experience that love. You can trust Him for that. Asking Him, begging Him to help you truly believe that His love has been poured into your heart. Trusting Him to bear fruit. To bear that fruit of love for Him. Because love for Jesus is not only uh, uh, the prerequisite for restoration, it is not only the place where you can experience joy, fellowship, pleasures forevermore in His presence, but it has another dimension as well. Love for Jesus is what empowers us to love and minister to others. That's what we see in our final point for today and in Jesus' restoration of Peter. A, a command of grace, of God's grace. Let's read the passage one final time, seeing the command that Jesus gave to Peter. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Jesus said to Peter, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, 
feed my sheep. Do you love me, Jesus asks. Yes, Lord, you know I love you. And and as Jesus three times allows Peter to put his denial in the past and replace it with his love for Jesus, Jesus three times commands him to engage in ministry, to engage with people. Three times Jesus commands Peter to shepherd his flock. Not Peter's flock, God's flock. Feed my lambs, tend my lambs, feed my sheep. And again, these I think are just John's variation. It just means uh, engage in ministry with people. Shepherd the flock, lead, teach the word, minister to, bless, help, encourage the people of God. That's what Jesus is commanding Peter to do. And just to be clear, this is, this is a command for all Christians, not just apostles and leaders and pastors in the church. Certainly applies there. But we all, in different ways, in our small groups, with our children, in our church, and our own children, and grandchildren, our families, etc., we, we're all to be feeding and tending the flock. We're all commanded to love and care for and minister to one another. Now, I call this a command of grace because it's not what you would logically expect. It's not what we tend to experience in the world. Peter has failed uh, big time, and he doesn't deserve restoration. Peter's been a leader, and he's fallen hard. For Jesus to come to him and restore him to ministry was truly amazing grace. Jesus wants Peter to know that even though his denial was a serious matter, it can't be ignored. He needs to repent and renew his commitment of love. But when he does, when he comes to Christ, confesses his love, grace is what he finds. Peter would later write, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Peter understood what it was to suffer, to suffer with guilt and to fear and to weep bitterly, knowing he'd betrayed his Lord. But he also, on that beach with Jesus, came to understand in a new way God's grace. He is a God who by His grace not only calls us to an eternal glory in Christ, you know, we think of uh, God's grace and we jump right to eternal life and salvation, which is great. But when we fail, He's there to restore and confirm, establish, strengthen those who return to Him in love. What a joy it is to be the child of a gracious, forgiving, loving, heavenly Father. A Father who does not cast us aside when we fail, but loves and calls and forgives and restores us. I'm so glad I had the same kind of Father, myself personally. I was just telling the ladies back there about my, some of the, my failures as a uh, son and brother, and talking about uh, fighting with my brother, and my, my parents certainly disciplined me, but they never cast me aside. And so uh, we have that in our earthly parents, hopefully, and God does the same. He, he forgives and He restores. Amen? Now, one final thing I want to point out that relates both to the question of love and the command of grace. There's something here that, I don't know if you picked up on it, that might not be logical to some. 
Jesus is graciously restoring Peter to ministry. He's letting Peter and the other disciples know that his call on Peter's life to feed the sheep, to take care of God's people, is restored. Feed my sheep, tend my lambs. That Peter is is an apostle, a leader in the church, a discipler of men and women, one who pastors the people of God. But notice what the qualifications for shepherding the flock is. Notice that at no time did Jesus say, Simon, son of John, do you love my sheep? Do you love my people? Now, I'm not saying that as a pastor, an elder, a leader, a disciple, or just a a Christian uh, of any kind, that we need not love the people that we are ministering to. We do. We must. But I am saying that loving people is clearly not Jesus' highest priority. The clear and first and most important qualification for ministry of any kind is our love for Jesus Christ. This is our highest calling. This is our greatest command. In fact, I would say that the most loving thing we can do for others is to love God more than we love them. For if we love God most, we will love and care for others best. But if God is not the love of our life, There's no way that we can truly love or care for his people. Unless we love Jesus, we cannot tend Jesus' flock. It's not our flock, it's his flock. Because love, in its truest, purest form, only comes from God. John wrote, uh, 1 John 4, verse 7 and 8, Beloved, I think there's a song about this. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Our love, our ability to love and shepherd God's flock, comes from God who is love. We love because He first loved us. When people Uh, even those we're seeking to minister to become our supreme love instead of God. We actually call that idolatry when something, we love something more than God. And love becomes distorted. It becomes diseased. If the love of God isn't guiding us, our love for people ends by, by, uh, by devolving into whatever we wish it to mean. And instead of doing the most loving uh, thing possible in the lives of others, that is shepherding them in the ways God tells us, uh, pointing them to Him through His Word, calling them and holding them accountable to obey His ways, helping them to grow in their relationship with Him, instead of that, we seek to only meet their, their needs, usually their immediate earthly needs, or to love them in the way they believe they should be loved. They become uh, the standard by which they are loved. And we forget about their more important heavenly eternal needs. And our love for them ultimately fails. I know as a church and as believers, we should certainly seek to meet the physical and emotional needs of those we minister to. But if that becomes an end in itself, then we've missed the boat entirely. We're not feeding the sheep. We're more than likely just feeding our egos. 
So Jesus hinges Peter's restoration to ministry on one thing, that is his love for Jesus. I don't know if he uh, invented it himself, maybe Randy could tell me, but Chuck White used to say, love God and do what you want right? Because if you truly love God, if you're focused on your love for God, then everything else will flow rightly from that, right? Jesus seemed to think that. Love me, feed my sheep. And Peter responded, yes, Lord, I love you. And Jesus gave him a great ministry of loving and shepherding people. Even though Peter denied the Lord three times, Jesus restored him to the ministry of shepherding his flock. And eventually, Peter uh, went to his death preaching the gospel. He went to his death, tradition says, uh, saying he's not worthy of being crucified like his Lord, and so being crucified upside down. Instead of denying the Lord, he died for the Lord. Now, I hope this message has served to get you ready for our journey through the book of 1 Peter. As we learn from one who loved Jesus and therefore was restored to ministry by Jesus. But more than that, I hope this message has served to help you think about both your love for Christ and your ministry to God's people. Maybe in the past, you've denied Christ with words or, or, or lack of words. Maybe you've committed some major sin, quote-unquote major sin, and you don't believe you're qualified to do anything for Christ. Or maybe you've just stopped doing ministry. Maybe this forced isolation uh, we are all experiencing has caused you to forget about the joys of being with people, the joys of ministry. Or maybe you've just fallen out of love with Jesus. Whatever the case, whatever has caused you to disengage from uh, ministry, to disengage from God's people, know this, Jesus is waiting on the shore. He has some food, drink, and He invites you to come and eat, to come and have fellowship with Him. And if you're willing to dive in, then you can be restored. First, you can have your love for Christ restored by Christ Himself. And second, uh, flowing from that love, you can be restored and empowered to to ministry of all kinds. Ministry to your family and friends. Ministry in your church. Ministry in the world, in your work, your school, your neighborhood. For those who love Christ, we can be restored and we can make a difference in our world. Would you pray with me to that end? Father God, we thank You Oh, oh Lord, that each one of us have failed in different ways. Failed to live up to our own pronouncements even. But you don't cast us aside. Lord, that in your nature is love, and in your nature is grace, and in your nature is mercy. And you've said to us, if we'll come to you, if we'll come to you, if we'll return to that, that first love that, uh, that we experienced that you'll restore us, that you'll empower us, Lord. And so we pray for that. Lord, if there are those here who, who just need that touch of your love, Lord, I pray that, 
that they could experience your love and and that in turn they would be able to return that love to you and and that love would flow from them into those around them. They would be able to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we would be a a people and a church known for feeding uh, your flock, for shepherding your sheep. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for being here this morning. Just God bless you as you're dismissed and we'll see you next week as we start 1 Peter.